I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the latest episode of the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In this episode, we will be talking about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we have been watching since the last episode with this segment, and then move on to the main event, which is our review of Beast, starring Idris Elba. Uh, to a reminder, programming note, reminder for listeners, this is a change. We made changes. We made changes. In the last episode, you may recall, it was just a Film Faves episode. Film Faves used to be part of the whole podcast. Now we have parsed out the main event and the Film Faves segments as separate episodes. Hopefully this makes it easier for you to digest these episodes. It certainly, hopefully, will make it easier for us and our recording schedule. We're still trying to iron out all those wrinkles ourselves. We'll see how it goes. But again... We can review. We have a lot to catch up with. And then our review of Beast. So let's dive in with the week in review. Shanna, what have you been catching up with since the last week in review? I have been watching Apple TV's Defending Jacob. It's an old one. I think it's from 2020. Oh, yeah, ancient. Yeah, 2020. <laughs> well, it was one of their first, mm. I think, and so... Yeah, it would have to be. I'm a little behind. My mother has been dying for me to watch this, and finally I got through it. It's only about eight episodes, and so it's not that long. An assistant DA's world is shattered when his beloved son gets charged with murder of another student in his grade. And that is starring Chris Evans, Michelle Dockery, Jaden Martell. So it was only eight episodes. So not a huge investment of my time. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's taking place with, as you would see in the trailer, you're, you're watching it happen the events unfold live, basically. Mm-hmm. But then it's also uh, interlaced with uh, Chris Evans' character being questioned by a lawyer. And so that's very interesting because we're going back and forth, back and forth, and we're wondering when are we going to meet at that point where the timeline is shared. Uh-huh. So that's a lot of... I found that very interesting, how they dealt with that. And it just it's great questions about, well, if your child was accused of murder... Would you ever believe what they said? Would you would you doubt things that mm. you had seen in the past that they did mm. as little children? Like what would what would that feel like? And it was brilliantly executed by by Michelle Dockery. So that mm. was really great. Everyone's performances was pretty awesome. So would you yeah. describe this as a great uh, miniseries, I should say? I think it's a very good miniseries. And my mom thought there would be another season, but uh, it's pretty much, you know, it's done. Mm-hmm. It's it's there to help you question what if you were in this situation, how would you deal with it? Mm. How would you rate it? I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10. Any issues you uh, you had with it? None that I can think of. I think it just, you know, the Michelle Dockery character... Had a trajectory, stuck the landing. Uh, Chris Evans' character, I think, needed just a little bit more, and I think if the that was met, it would 
you know, probably be an eight or a nine. Interesting. All right. So that is Defending Jacob on Apple TV Plus. Now, as I understand it, Shannon, you have another show that you wanted to catch up with. You you actually finished watching it around the time we recorded our last week in review episode, but wasn't quite ready to, to talk about it, as I understand it. Uh, so catch us up with this uh, this show. Well, it is such a sensitive franchise. Hmm. Uh, it is the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Mm-hmm. And it's it's wonderful in that it has Ewan McGregor and he's younger than what we're used to seeing Obi Kenobi, Obi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of nice to see him at that age some more. It's kind of that middle Middle age, yeah. Middle age. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed it. I didn't think that this was a bad show. What we're told on IMDb is that Obi-Wan Kenobi has to save young Leia after she's kidnapped. What? All while being pursued by Imperial Inquisitors. Huh. Interesting. So I have a reaction to that because... You have a reaction to everything. You are a sensitive Star Wars fan. (sighs) (laughs) Thanks for undercutting anything I said before I said it. I'm sorry. Um, Maybe I'm just trying to irk you a little bit too. Um, so Go this on. is this is supposed to take place in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, correct? The Leia is maybe six, eight years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so there you go. Mm-hmm. So would Luke? Mm-hmm. So um, look, I. The, the Clone Wars. When does the Clone Wars I take place? Know. I, I don't know everything. I don't remember. I feel like Clone Wars takes place in between two of the prequels or something. I'm not really positive about that. I am, We haven't seen Clone Wars. But anyway. I'm pretty my, sure it happens before he has kids. Before who has kids? Anakin. Okay. So that, that would be before Revenge of the Sith. So my understanding is... Revenge of the Sith basically ends with Obi-Wan going into hiding and hiding Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And from then on, he, mm-hmm. you know, he gives Luke Skywalker to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru mm-hmm. to to actually raise, but he he keeps a watchful eye from a distance mm-hmm. and develops a reputation as a hermit in in Tatooine. That is all he should be doing so he doesn't raise any attention from anyone. And you're telling me that he goes off to he goes off to save Leia, who, by the way, is in another planet completely being raised by the Organas, which are um, royalty. And he has to go save her. What do you want from me right now? <laughs> what do you want? OK, so here's what. Go ahead. Here's what I got out of the show. Mm-hmm. I got to see Leia. Young Leia as a badass because, of course, she would be that way from day one, given her DNA. I loved seeing her like that. She's also in a very privileged situation where she has all the tutors she would ever need, all the access to any activity Mm -hmm. that she might require at that status. That checks out, yes. And... I think it was interesting what they were doing with Obi-Wan Kenobi as well as the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. I liked seeing the Inquisitors. I liked seeing the little bit of other... We were exposed to another world. We were on another world. Uh, there's some fun guest appearances. Mm-hmm. And 
I enjoyed how they did that. This was not a bad show. Okay, so laying some groundwork, you are, to make this clear, you are not a fan of the prequels, correct? No. no. Okay, you are a fan of the original trilogy and the yeah. sequel trilogy, right? Yeah. For the most part. Absolutely. Okay, so you are coming at it as a fan of the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, not a fan of the prequels, yet you thought this was worthwhile and, and enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I am a fan of Leia. Uh-huh. Okay. And I enjoyed seeing her. Okay. I enjoyed seeing that character. And quite frankly, we just get a little bit of the Organas. I liked seeing them too. Mm. Was Jimmy Smith's reprising his role? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's cool. Um, that is one of the cool things about the, the prequels is people like Jimmy Smith mm-hmm. in it. So do you think that this was like, oh, yeah, like... This didn't seem like it was a necessary thing that we didn't need, but actually after watching it, it's like, yes, this is a great thing that this exists in the world. I am one. Do I think it was absolutely necessary to hang on to some more Skywalker stuff? Uh-huh. There's also a spoiler that happens later that I'm not going to talk about. Uh-huh. I think that spoiler was worth seeing, but also it might infuriate and confuse hardcore Star Wars fans. Okay. I think what's going to be interesting is seeing someone like a brand new kid being exposed to the franchise. And what if they go to the old trilogy and then they see this show Mm -hmm. and then they do the new trilogy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that might be really cool because if it's a young Star Wars fan seeing a young Leia... Mm -hmm. I think that's important. It's not always about the older fans. And I'm not saying that you should shit on your older fans, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that have been with you from the beginning, but they're, you're always going to have new fans. And like, how can you flesh that out more? Mm. And I think that this was, I think this was a good idea. Okay. Uh, what do you rate the series? Oh, I give it like a six. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I liked it for my reasons. Yeah. And I thought that some of the characters were pretty cool. But it is a six because some things don't land pretty well. Just enough more, the, just enough good to outweigh just the bad. Just enough good. Yeah. All right. So that is Obi-Wan Kenobi All right. on Disney+. Plus. And then and lastly, I got to have a movie night with, my, with our son and... That was pretty fun. We're big fans in this house of A24. And you're a little worried about horrors, thrillers. I'm a bit squeamish. You're pretty squeamish. Especially on the first time viewing. It's a little surprising. The whole, like, unknown. Sometimes my imagination makes it worse than what it's going to actually be. I think you just need to chill. Or, (laughs) you know, maybe that's important. I think that's a fun concept. And maybe that gets illustrated a little bit executed a little bit in this movie Hmm. bodies 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 is when a group of rich 20 somethings plan a hurricane party so there's a hurricane going on there's a storm and they go to a remote out there far away from everything and anything family mansion and a game they play turns deadly and it's very original and it's bringing out the worst in people because people are scared and i think that that's great Things keep getting worse, <laughs> and sometimes it's hysterical, sometimes it's befuddling, sometimes it's, this has got to be a this generation thing, like this behavior, the particular behaviors, it's like, it's got to be that generation, but it also might be like the elite part of the generation. Can you give an example that's not uh, going to give anything away? In the trailer, you see 
them all arguing and one of them says i can't believe you're making this about you right now but that's exactly what that character is doing instead of making it about the actual situation they should be talking about so it's very selfish self-absorbed teens Mm. or 20 something sorry and they're they're just it's funny Mm -hmm. uh and a lot of backstabbing a lot of i'm gonna gossip with this friend about that friend in adults, you know? <laughs> so, Amandla Stenberg, Maria Baklova, Rachel Sennett, uh, we've got Pete Davidson, obviously, and Lee Pace. And Lee Pace, I just realized, is uh, the blue guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, What's yes, his name? the villain. Uh, uh, the, oh, I just forgot his name. Um, but at any rate, Yes, he's the villain in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Ronan movie. the Accuser. Yes, the Accuser, there yes. Uh, I enjoyed this movie. It was a lot of fun. There wasn't really a lot of jump scares, especially if I compare it to Beast, which we mm. just watched. So not too bad. Okay. Very well executed ideas. And the ending is fantastic. Oh. We were going to spoil it for you, but... <laughs> oh, for me, for not you. the listeners. No, yeah. and you... Th- thought well maybe you could watch it so now we have to wait for you to watch it okay <laughs> but it's really great okay really great film. so what do you rate uh bodies bodies i bodies? give this a nine wow that's yeah. it's really that good it's direct it's triple f rated actually so hmm. so a main female character mm-hmm. mm, okay and uh written by and and directed by women yep that's okay. right who who directed it by the way directing it is helena rain okay i'm not familiar with her but she's uh, around 45, 46. Very good. Excellent. All right. So Not that her age matters. Well, I, I apply to that because it's like, oh, that's near my age. That's near my brother's age. So I, okay. I that's a personal thing for me. All right, then. So I, I, I find that a relatable thing for me. So that's my weekend review. How about yours? Cool. All right. So I have a handful of things. The first one is there's the last time we did a weekend review, I actually forgot about something I had just finished mm. that previous week or something. So I want to quickly address a documentary I saw on Hulu. It was new at the time. I know it's been about a month or so. It was Victoria's Secret Angels and yes. Demons. And I finished that too. Okay, so you watched this too. So you might be able to chime in a little bit here. This is a... Gosh, how many episodes? It was a three-episode documentary series about Victoria's Secret, the company, uh, ostensibly, and the history of the company, ostensibly. And it's uh, about the CEO, Les Wexner. I always forget that. And, And basically... This is an interesting documentary because it gives you the history of the company. And I did not know really anything about it. As far as I knew, it was started by a woman named Victoria. <laughs> you know, because it's Victoria's Secret. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you? But Well, apparently a lot of us thought that. Yeah. A lot and, of the population. And, and actually, to no fault of our own, because the marketing at a certain point in the, comp- uh, the company's marketing in the early 80s, late 70s, after a certain point... They had built up a character named Victoria and was so uh, convincing that people were, would ask, hey, when are we going to meet Victoria? You know, that were in the industry and stuff. Mm. So anyway, it's very interesting to watch the rise of this this uh, company and mm. what it was intended to be, which was, hey, you know, like 
let, essentially, like, like, let's make women, let's give women an opportunity to feel good about themselves, feel sexy, and all that sort of stuff. And it was, uh, it was very interesting to see the progression of this company and then where it shifted in the 2000s yeah. and, and what happened there. The progression and then the decline. Because sort of, Because it totally yeah. became a male gaze situation. It definitely ended up, like inverting on itself in a way where it became the opposite of what it was, mm-hmm. right? What it was intended to be. And then, of course, it just became a outdated, because of that it, and other things, it became this outdated company in terms of its image post Me Too and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, and time's up. And so it, it's very interesting that regard. However, it feels like it was two different documentaries in one because while it is doing this uh, in-depth survey of the history of the, the company, which I think alone is interesting and valid, it then tries to investigate the relationship with, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein with Jeffrey mm-hmm. Epstein and the company, and it almost started to feel like, well, this was the real reason why you wanted to make this documentary, isn't it? It, it felt like it was trying to almost accuse something, like with the relationship between Jeffrey Epstein and and Les Wexner, and it didn't feel good. It didn't. F- uh, it, it it actually took away from... Are you saying it no longer felt like a good documentary when they hit that point? Yeah, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like... Feel right. Yeah, what the execution of that and everything, hmm. it just didn't end up feeling like, oh, like this is... How do I say? Mm-hmm. This is a valid path the way they're going about it. And if anything, it it felt like it was butting heads with this other documentary that it was telling. But it felt like that documentary that was actually interesting and fascinating wasn't really the documentary they wanted to tell. It was this other thing that doesn't come until like later on in the series. And so I'm I'm kind of mixed on it. I I think that it's a disjointed a uh, documentary series that doesn't it doesn't pull off both things that it's trying to do and make it feel uh, cohesive in any way. So I give uh, Victoria's Secret Angels and Demons a uh, six out of ten out of a documentary series. I think there is a lot of interesting information to get from it, but I do think it grasps at other things that mm, maybe it isn't isn't quite uh there or at least should have been its own documentary series and at the very least i guess that's what i would have wanted i would have wanted it to be its own thing i could not disagree with you more really you didn't I, think you didn't think that well um, at first it was a little jarring yeah because i was like oh are we just doing this for clicks as they provide more information to us i realized that well this goes hand in hand you have Victoria's Secret Marketing Department changing things for male gaze. And then we have this man coming in and totally taking advantage of women uh, in that way. And another man who is actually in charge of the company denying it. 
And whoa, 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 whoa. Denying what? Denying what? Denying accusations that Jeffrey Epstein, like people would go to HR and they would accuse him of stuff. That was not exclusive to Jeffrey at all. That was actually, they would talk about other yeah, uh, members in the, well. in the company. Sure. And then this <clears throat> Jeffrey man, was actually not officially part of the company, to be clear. He would claim to be, but he actually was not a part of the company. Maybe I'll watch it again, but mm-hmm. I was fine with this parallel. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 well, I caution anyone to rewatch it. Because <laughs> I just don't know that it's really worth a whole lot of time. I do think that if you did, you would hear them talk about, like, they didn't even know that Jeffrey was claiming to be part of the company to be able to get access to the things that he was getting access to that honestly were uh, at best of questionable integrity. So, yeah, I, I don't want to go go too much on mm-hmm. about this because we have other things to get to. But mm-hmm. and, and there's nothing concrete that it ever is able to nail down either. Well, why don't you go ahead and talk about the orange years? <laughs> yeah? Maybe so, they nailed it for you. So, well, I'll get to that. So that's Victoria's Secret Angels and Demons, available on Hulu. I give it a 6 out of 10. Shanna appreciated it a little bit more than me. The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story. I caught up with that. This is a documentary from four years ago, 2018. Apparently it came out. This is basically telling the origin story, more or less, the, the first 20 years of the cable channel Nickelodeon. That was That is touted as being the first channel exclusively for kids of content for kids and if you are in your 30s or 40s maybe even edging towards your 50s i think this documentary would appeal to you greatly because you probably were around when you can't do that on television was on you probably watched the first cartoons on Nickelodeon, which were, I, I didn't remember that there were three cartoons that they eventually launched when they did the um, cartoons. It was Rugrats, Doug. I love Rugrats. Yeah, Rugrats, Doug, and. Hey Arnold? Ren and Stimpy? Ren and Stimpy. Okay. Hey Arnold came later. Yeah. And then you might ha- remember things like Hey Dude. You might remember things like Are You Wild Afraid of the Dark? Berries. No, that came later. Later? Doesn't oh, even, okay. not even covered in the documentary. Um, you might remember the game show Double Dare, even. So if you remember any of these things, if these were a part of your adolescence. I remember a show that like had like per- a pyramid and like. Yeah, that might be the Temple of oh, uh, something yeah. like other. Another game show that I was not aware of, but is covered in the documentary. So it covered all that stuff. Uh, Clarissa explains it all, everything from back in those days, it goes all the way up to the uh, Snick, into the Snick years, if you're familiar with Saturday Night Nick. And also, the it goes all the way up to the, the Dora and SpongeBob years, when there was apparently a big shift in the corporation. So it's fascinating to have this survey that also includes, like, appearances by, like, Kenan Thompson, who was, who was on, um, oh gosh, there was a sketch show that he was on. Kenan and Kel? Uh, before that, before that, even um, mm-hmm. he he did Keenan and Kel after I think Good Burger was that the movie based on Keenan oh. and Kel or was that a show itself? I don't remember, um, but it talks I, about them. I guess I mean I remember them in Good Burger. Yeah, so maybe it was called that. Yeah, there's that too. That's covered all this sort of stuff. I think 
if you're a certain age demographic, you are real. This is really going to appeal to you. I don't know. Maybe if you're outside that age demographic, if you're you're a teenager, if you're in your twenties, if anything, it might be a curioso for you to kind of learn more about what Nickelodeon was like uh, before all the things that you know came about. Uh, but I, I recommend it. I give it a 7 out of 10. That's hmm. The Orange Years, The Nickelodeon Story. What is that on? Oh, also on Hulu. Oh, great. Yeah. Next, apparently I have a Hulu-filled weekend <laughs> review. I just realized this. That's My great. third thing is on Hulu. Uh, there is a little film called Prey that came out. Mm-hmm. It is about a, a Cherokee woman. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, she wants to be a hunter and, you know, she's fighting against uh, these gender norms in the tribe in the 1700s. And then all of a sudden, something is in the woods that is taking out her fellow tribesmen one by one in graphic detail. While also she's discovering some someone is hunting the bison in the area and not like taking hunting them for meat and stuff so apparently okay so dan trachtenberg directed this movie dan trachtenberg of 10 cloverfield lane dan trachtenberg of other things he's directed uh episodes of tv shows and uh, and many other things great director cool dude used to have a video podcast called totally rad show he was a part of he originally wanted to market this movie without marketing its main hook that did not happen. It is revealed in the trailer and in the marketing. This is a Predator prequel. I see. Okay. okay. I, I kind of like how you describe this. I kind of want to watch it. It's baller, dude. It is the best Predator movie since the original Predator movie. And I'm a fan of Predators from 2010. I think that this is I, I highly recommend this movie it is so cool especially if you're a predator fan and you've been wanting a decent predator movie all these years this movie is clever it's very smart it strips away so much so it really does become about using your wits and being smart and and and, and having survival instincts and stuff there's you know trigger warnings if you if you have problems with uh, oh, yeah. elements of nature being killed or whatever you know, it's I a guess seven, it's not for me. It's a 1700s, <laughs> so there's a scene or two where you see, like, things being hunted. You Maybe know? I could just walk away during that part. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's like 10% of the whole 90-minute or so movie. And it's it's really lean. I, uh, it's, it's, I really wish this thing was conceived as a theatrical release. Apparently it was not. It was conceived as a Hulu exclusive, mm-hmm. which I think is criminal because this thing, aside from a big hit that came out a couple weeks around the uh, time that it hit Hulu, you know, if they moved it a week or two, I think this thing would have done very well in theaters and had a great word of mouth. It's already had great word of mouth on social media the week that it came out. And I'm here to spread that word of mouth. I give Prey an 8 out of 10. And that is available on Hulu. Okay, so that is my Week in Review. Now we're getting into our Week in Review. And first, we're going back to a movie that we finally caught up with from last year that I remember distinctly as seeing the movie poster for. And be like, oh, I want to see that. Can't wait for that to go uh, come out. And it was like a blip. It like came mm-hmm. and went. 
with hardly any peep. It is Respect, starring Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin. Jenna, why don't you talk about this movie? Well, I think we see her her story unfolding from about age eight, six. Mm-hmm. And then we see her, uh, it catches up to when they're making a documentary about her gospel album. Yeah, when she's going, well, she was recording a uh, gospel performance mm-hmm. in her church and they decided, well, let's let's also document it too yeah. to uh, kind of cross pollinate in terms of markets and also show you getting back to your roots. Yeah, and it was nice to see a little bit of her story. To be fair, I don't know much of her story, much like I don't know much of Elvis's story. And so what I did get exposed to in this film was great. Uh, Jennifer Hudson's performance was just amazing. And I think she's the best part of this film, obviously. And it was lovely seeing her perform in this way and take it so seriously. Uh, Yeah, that's what I got about that. I think this is a very average biopic. I think you're right. The the best thing about the film is Hudson's Mm -hmm. performance. I mean, she can actually, it helps that she actually has natural musical talent and she seems to emulate well Aretha in this. However, I think the one thing that you didn't mention that is great. And the best thing about the movie is there is a sequence where she is sent to Muscle Shoals in, what is that, Alabama or some? I can't remember where exactly south, uh, but to Muscle Shoals to record her, record her first album. Uh, was it with Capital? I want to say it was with Capital, if I remember correctly. And it's the, it's like uh, Do Right Woman, uh, or I'll never, I'll never Love a Man the Way I Love You is the album. It's one of her most famous ones. And that's when the movie comes alive because you see these musicians figuring out a song and Mm -hmm. working through a song. And that whole process of crafting music Mm -hmm. is like when the movie actually comes alive. I feel like there's a lot having to do with her marriage and her management and other things that I frankly found less interesting in the film compared to seeing her craft her songs and figure it out with other collaborators. Uh, so, you know, I could see why this this movie kind of came and went without much fanfare. Mm. I give the film a 6 out of 10 myself. It's a very average biopic with uh, peppered with worthwhile elements. Yeah, 5 out of 10 for me. Mm, Very good. So that is Respect, starring Jennifer Hudson. Next, we have American Crime Story Impeachment, Mm -hmm. which is this the third season of American Crime Story? I believe so, yeah. The first one was OJ. The second one, I feel like it was the brother. Nope. Versace? Yeah, that's the one because you saw that and I didn't. Yes, no, you don't want to watch that one. And then now we have Impeachment. Right. So this is talking about the entire saga with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And boy, does it go in depth. That's 10 episodes, right? I It's either 8 or 10. And it's interesting because, okay, so this thing came out 
like two years ago or something like that. And I felt like it took a long time before it was available on the streaming service yeah. on Hulu because it was an FX thing. Yes. And for a long time, you can only watch it on FX. Yeah. And which meant we didn't see it. And it's interesting because I feel like this thing really took a long time to tell its story. But I'm torn because I feel like there's part, there's elements of it where it's like, okay, I'm really glad that you took your time with this element because now I can appreciate what this part means, mm-hmm. you know, because it does like go back even further before Monica and it tells the whole story with Paula, uh, Paula Jones oh, yeah. and what was going on there and really clarifying the Paula Jones saga of the whole thing, which uh, I appreciate because I didn't really know much about the Paula Jones stuff yeah um but it also really spends a lot of time with linda trip and helping you get to know linda trip and her sunshine ass yeah so i talk a little bit more about that what you thought about all of those elements and and the whole the way that they edited and did the story of these two women because it's paula and then monica how they contrasted these two women's experiences was very interesting and i don't know if they're trying to say something about class or stay some sort of sort of status thing but i thought it was very interesting how they were dealing with well here's how the public did not like paula and here's how the public even though they don't like what bill clinton did they they liked monica mm-hmm. and, and i just thought, how they felt about linda too oh well you know nobody likes linda so <laughs> Jeff nearly spat out his coke. So uh, that's that's how they've made her. And maybe there was something nice about Linda in real life, but how they've painted her here is, no, she's a woman sticking her nose where it doesn't belong. And mm. all for her own selfish gains. Yes. And all for her own to feed or fuel her own paranoia about what she thinks the government is. Mm-hmm. And yes. Because she felt like the government was had a personal vendetta against her. Yeah. And when in reality, they barely even knew she existed. Yes. But it never shocked her in this show. She mm. just kept going, riding her flag. I mean, waving her flag. I, Beanie Filtstein is one of my favorite new actresses. I love her mm. from Booksmart. I loved her in this. I thought she was cast perfectly. Mm. I also... Even though I don't like Linda Tripp, I loved Sarah Paulson. Oh, my God. She was extraordinary in this. A huge transformation. So great. And not an unhinged character. You know, mm. for a while there, she was doing, as you referred to, something crazy character. Mm. So, oh, right. Yeah. Right. So it's nice yes. that she's getting into a more dramatic, you know, this kind of role. Yeah. And I just, I really enjoyed watching uh, Beanie. I, th- I think she was great. I thought that the situation, the way they depicted it was very interesting. I knew nothing about this in real life. Mm. I was, I don't know, how old was I? Like in my early teens? You were maybe 10 when the whole thing went down. Yeah. So, publicly, yeah. So, I mean, I had other things to think about. You know, mm-hmm. South Africa yeah. had their own problems. And you were 10. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this show. I think that most of the time they knock they knock these out of the park, and I can't wait to see what's next. I think it's Studio Fifty 
what is it, 53, 52? 54. There we go. Yeah. I was close. Uh, So I look forward to what they do next because often this is a very well-made. Limited I know that you said uh, there were times where it felt like they were going too far back or taking too long with certain things. Yeah, it felt long, yeah. I don't feel that way. Knowing the show for what it's known for, I think that they do everything with purpose. And if if you're paying attention to it, you'll see that. And it's very rewarding. What did you think of it? A, a few things I'll note. First of all, yes, uh, Sarah Paulson and Beanie Feldstein are fantastic. They are the highlights. Sarah Paulson is an extraordinary actress. And boy, she must really love the TV work she's offered because she really seems to dig in with every performance that she gives here. And yes, this is actually one of her better performances. Do you think Sarah Paulson is better at TV or movies? Uh, well... I don't have to relook at what her movie work is, but off the top of my head, I don't think her characters in film have been nearly as interesting or great as her TV characters. But you also have more time to really dig in in the TV characters, so it's almost unfair. That said, I think this film is or this uh, series is interesting because it speaks to how these three separate women were treated. Uh, you you kind of alluded a little bit to that. It, it speaks to how Paula Jones was treated. It speaks to even how Linda Tripp was treated, but especially Monica Lewinsky too. Uh, it, it, and none of it's great. But it, it's uh, I wish I wish we were talking about this closer to when we finished because I I really had I really think there's a lot of meat just in that alone yeah. in this. And uh, I, it's not fresh in my memory, but it is fascinating if you look carefully as you're watching about how these three separate women are treated by people or by the media or by the public in general it's fascinating to see these parallel things going on also there's a comment in the last episode or two that really paralleled and made it relevant with uh the with trump and the trump era Mm -hmm. and and the kind of people who follow uh trump um religiously there is something i think that's said by linda tripp that I mean, you just know that if Linda Tripp was alive, she would she would totally be a make America great type person, you know, and 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 I think there's something that comes from her that is very fascinating and makes the story relevant to today. I think it's also interesting how this this show makes it very clear that Kenneth Starr was not interested in doing this for the benefit of the victims. He was very interested in just trying to find something to try to take down Bill Clinton. And uh, because there's there's uh, moments where he could have included other victims and tried to yeah, cause um, there was help a, them. There was a third. Well, actually, there's more like four. We come across right. four victims, right. really. Yeah. So I felt like the, the ending was a little abrupt. Though. Yes, I was getting there. I was getting there. I felt like I needed just a, a tish more. Which is fascinating for a series that felt long to me for it to just kind of have this abrupt feeling to its mm. end where it doesn't even it doesn't even give you an indication of what happened with these people, where they went, what, you know, all this sort of stuff. There's, there's more to these people beyond this story and the trajectory that this story sent them on. And it doesn't give you any indication of any of that. It just kind of ends. And that was unsatisfying. I haven't come across an unsatisfying end like this in quite some time. So I give this season of American Crime Story a 7 out of 10. Next, 
we caught up with a blind spot of ours, one that we've been trying to squeeze in a, a handful of times over the past five years and just never have. A 2001 film called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We saw a stage performance of this a month or so ago, and you loved it so much you blind bought, Shanna, the Criterion edition of the 2001 film. I did. I loved the play. I think I had seen the play twice before buying the Criterion. There was a sale at Barnes & Noble, their 50% sale. And so I thought, well, you know what? If I hate it, that's fine, because <laughs> I love the play. And we actually watched the play three times. I mean, I did. You did. Yeah. I did. So just for context, the film is based on the stage musical by John Cameron Mitchell. It is adapted by John Cameron Mitchell, directed by John Cameron Mitchell, starring John Cameron Mitchell as the title character Hedwig, also starring... Miriam Shore and Andrea Martin among a handful. It was of nice to see her. And Michael Pitt as well as Tommy Gnosis. So this story, in case you're not familiar, it's about a genderqueer punk rock singer from East Berlin who tours the U.S. with her band as she tells her life story and follows the former lover slash bandmate who stole her songs. So, Jenna, being a new fan of the stage musical, how did you feel about the film that experienced its uh, 21st birthday or anniversary this year? It made me really miss the actor that portrayed Hedwig in the stage production because I had Mm. seen him three times. It was just so, I had gotten so used to him and he's very guttural with his singing Mm. as Hedwig. And with the movie, it took a little getting used to. Mm. So I'm glad that I didn't see the movie first, but... really. Yeah, uh, when I'm photographing a play, I like to not know anything so Mm. that I'm just as surprised as someone who's never seen it before and I can try and show that through my photography. And I think it helps the process. But the movie was fine. If people know about the play, there's an interactive part of the play where Hedwig gets you all to stand up mm-hmm. and sing with her. Yeah, sing and, along, yeah. Yeah, and I thought the way that they, because I, I, I didn't know how they were going to portray that in the movie, and I won't spoil anything, but I was very pleased with how cute they made it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it brought a little, like, tear to my eye, because I was like, oh, that's so sweet <laughs> that, mm. that we're still included, because Hedwig as a play is so super interactive Hedwig goes into the audience and interacts with everyone and you see a little bit of that where they're performing at the salad bar as in the film yeah as she says and um it's fine but you do miss that and so when they when when they reveal that song I was impressed and happy because that was important and then there were one or two things that I didn't catch in the play But I did because of the movie. So I appreciate the movie, but I will always, you know, want to see it on the stage. Mm. Yeah, the the story, the film reflects a kind of a small scale sort of uh, aspect to the story. And 
it just sometimes visualizes what you hear talked about in the stage play, which I is kind of what I expected. I like the film quite a bit myself. I think there's a couple things that aren't as clear in the film as maybe a stage performance might make clear, uh, particularly with regards to Hedwig and her her lover and I want to say fellow bandmate, if I'm not mistaken, Itzak. I thought Itzak was her husband. Uh, sure, yes, but also I think uh, is not Itzak part of the band? Itzak is part of the band. There you go. So there's some things there that's not as clearly developed in the film. But overall, I think, you know, this is a this is a film that was ahead of its time, you know, in 2001. I think it's also a little bit uh, shaggy, a little bit rough around the edges. It's got its, it wears its indie film cred on, on its sleeve very very clearly um, it has that sort of aesthetic a very indie film aesthetic to mm-hmm. it but it's enjoyable and i definitely recommend uh, checking it out this is a, a story that you love and enjoy more than me but i'm i'm glad that you have it and we can go back to it and maybe even dive in to all the criterion features yes i really can't wait for the criterion features and you know we've done a criterion episode before our favorite criterions and i will say the criterion treatment is lovely the booklet that it comes with makes a lot of sense it's on brand with the movie Mm -hmm. and there's a lot to read in there as well Uh, we also got you know i got a total of four Criterion films, and that one I think had the best packaging. Hmm. What do you What do you rate the film adaptation? I'd give it a strong seven. You know, I, I would too. Uh, and and I, I still think I get the feeling I liked it more than you, but I, I would also give it a seven out of ten. Uh, even though it is clearly a, a a milestone in queer cinema, and was ahead of its time. You know, I think there's a couple of things that could have been developed a little more clearly. Uh, and that's that's why I give it a seven instead of a higher grade. So, oh, yeah, like there was one scene missing. You're supposed to see Yitzhak have this really wonderful moment at the end. Mm-hmm. And that didn't that wasn't really satisfactory how the film did it. Mm-hmm. So I will say that. So that's Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We recommend hunting it down next. We we got up with a uh, major release, mm-hmm. an anticipated major release. One I was excited about for sure. If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to verify this. I believe this comes from the director of the John Wick trilogy, Chad Stahelski. No, I'm wrong. I am wrong. It is by David Leach. Who, let's see what he's done, because I know that name, but I don't know his work off the top of my head. He is the director of Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, and Hobbs and Shaw. So no stranger to action whatsoever. He apparently did some uncredited work on John Wick. Maybe that's why I had John Wick in my head. At any rate, Bullet Train is the film we caught up with in the theater. Starring... Brad Pitt, Joey Keane, Aaron Taylor Johnson, 
Brian Tyree Henry, Hiroyuki Sonata, and more. I will not spoil everyone who pops up in the film like was spoiled for me. That is part of the fun of the film. Basically, it is about five assassins on a bullet train in Japan, and they're all after a MacGuffin, basically. So, Shanna, what did you think of Bullet Train? Were you looking forward to this movie, and did it live up to any sort of anticipation you had for it? Yeah, as said earlier, this was one of my anticipated films for the summer. I was looking forward to it when I saw the trailer. I thought that it would be a lot of fun. I am familiar with bullet trains through train play <laughs> with toddlers. So ah. I thought it, I've, I hadn't seen footage of a real one, just the toy crashing into everything. So it was really great to see it on the on the screen and i thought that all the characters were great i had a few favorites that i fell in love with i thought references to other trains was great i thought that character development and even though we're just on this train for like i don't know maybe we're on the train for eight hours there's still character arcs that are happening so i thoroughly enjoyed it it was very action-packed very funny if you're a train fan or have a kid that's a train fan obviously this isn't kid friendly but if you live no, in that it definitely is not if you live in that world like i do <laughs> i've nannied a lot of kids and i've had two kids that were very into trains it's i highly recommend you go check it out it's so much fun it's worth the watch it's great so this film has a reported budget of 80 to 90 million dollars and it has a huge cast and I kind of expected it to be a late summer hit. It domestically has made just over 95 million dollars. So it hasn't even made back its budget after marketing and distribution oh, costs. Man worldwide yeah what about worldwide? if anything that might be saving it with 174 million dollars that is a modest success definitely not a late summer smash hit Darn. which uh is kind of a bummer because i think this movie is the kind of fun you a lot of people go to the movies for yeah yeah. I think it's a crowd pleaser. I think it's 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 also a very adult film. It's it's very violent. It's it's pretty Oh, it's brutal. gloriously brutal. Yeah. Yes. I loved it. Yes. I <laughs> But silly I mean, at the same time. Yes. This is the kind of movie where people bleed through their eyes or uh people squirt blood out of their throats or a part of a head might get blown off. Whatever it is. This is this is kind of ultra-violent, but fun. It, it does not get serious. It keeps things fun. And I think Brad Pitt is a, a just gloriously enjoyable in the film. He carries us through the whole thing with a certain degree of affability and what the hell sort of aspect to it and um, he's almost as flabbergasted as we are yes. at certain times in the film which is kind of fun yes and the film does also avoid predictability often things that i expected to happen or things i expected to happen to certain characters did not 
and other things happen. And, uh, and I definitely did not expect some of the appearances that come up, despite having seen the trailer at least six times in the theater. So I, I think Bullet Train is one of the funnest films of the summer and definitely a pleaser. I will say Brian Tyree Henry, you shouted out Brad Pitt, but Brian was fantastic. Yes. I think he was one of the best parts of the film. He has had a hell of a a handful of years lately showing up in so many films. What what has he shown up in just since 2019? If Beale Street could talk, when did that happen? But that's what I'm recognizing him from. Really? So that's from that's 2018. 2018. Yeah. He's in Widows, which I remember. And then let's go up. He's in Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse as Jefferson Davies, Don't Let Go, Joker. Mm-hmm. I remember him from Godzilla versus Kong, mm-hmm. The Woman in the Window, mm-hmm. Eternals, of yep. course. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he's had quite, quite the past couple in, years. He's in 27 episodes of Atlanta, and I don't know which year he starts, but... I, I think he's a regular in the show, but okay. we neither of us have seen it as far as I, I know, right? Yeah. No, we yeah. haven't seen it. So, uh, yes, he is great in it, too. Um, I give Bullet Train a 7 out of 10. Uh-huh. I don't think it's a, a one of the best movies of the year, but it's certainly... A favorite of the year. Oh, I give it a nine. I was very, wow. very pleased and very happy with, you know, everything that happened in it. I think I was one of the people in the theater that was laughing the most. Because of his train stuff. Train talk. <laughs> because of his obsession with trains that carried through from his childhood. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's one way to say it. Yes. Great. Yeah. But I like the characters and the story was fun. All right, so that's Bullet Train we both recommend. Lastly, in this monstrous week in review, catching up with so much since our last segment, She-Hulk dropped. Since, I think, at at the time that we are recording, the third episode, I think, is about to drop. We have seen the first two episodes. We're staying on top of that. I am a She-Hulk fan I have read a handful of the She-Hulk comics of past, but really loved the Dan Slott run of the 2000s, which Mm -hmm. I think Peter David, who's kind of a legend in Hulk comics, I think he took over after Dan Slott and made it much more of a straightforward action Hulk story that you would expect. But the Dan Slott run, which is like a dozen or so issues made She-Hulk this comedy, this legal comedy, where it was like, hey, you know, um, there's a lot of collateral damage and property damage that occurs whenever superheroes and supervillains clash. Are there lawsuits attached to that that occur? And and, uh, She-Hulk is the entry point because she gets hired by this firm that specializes in superhero law. And it was such a funny comic. And at the same time, she's like single and ready to mingle. And so it kind (laughs) of played with her single life too and balancing everything out. It was, I loved it so much. And I really hoped when I heard about this show, that's what they would 
make the show about. And so far, it seems like that's the direction it's going. What do you think, Shanna, of She-Hulk, the series so far, its first couple episodes? Is Tatiana Maslany the She-Hulk you wanted to see? Uh, Are you enjoying it so far overall? I'm a fan of her, so I am loving her performance so far. I think that the story is great. I love what they're doing with the character. I think it's funny that she's kind of the more child-friendly third wall breaker uh, of Marvel as opposed to Deadpool. Well, yeah, that is one thing about the character in the comics. Apparently, she thinks she is a comic book character. So what's kind of cool is that this, they do seem to be starting to adapt that in some way. Well, and they were talking. She did talk to us, I think, either in the yes. first episode or second episode. No, definitely the first episode. Okay. It starts with her uh, talking to the camera talking to the audience yeah and then every now and again she looks at the camera Mm -hmm. so that's great Mm -hmm. but i have to say i loved how they were dealing with well what if woman did have the hulk gene like Mm -hmm. what would happen Mm -hmm. this whole bruce banner hulk of like i'm always angry Uh uh-huh okay from 2012 Um, you're referring to the avengers line yeah so I think I think women are angry a lot and they have to manage their anger a lot. And I like how they dealt with that in the first episode. And I wonder if that'll continue because it's great to acknowledge the shit that women have to deal with and have a superhero and kind of communicate that to the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm enjoying it. Quite a bit. I to the extent that I was shocked and disheartened to see a lot of online hmm. rhetoric it? and hate towards it. Once hmm. again, a female led. I wonder where that could be coming from. And then hmm. the review bombing on IMDb. It's just it's just exhausting and upsetting wow. and frustrating. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of, first of all, a lot of it, by the way, if you don't know, comes from this idea of how could she be stronger than the Hulk just right away? She didn't even have to try. Well, why can't she? Why can't she be stronger? Like, I thought we had this established, actually, with certain things. Like, she's already got a calm mind. She's already, she's got someone guiding her. It's not like... Yeah, the the issue is being taken with the entire first episode, how she's instantly better and stronger than Hulk, and she didn't even have to struggle for 10 years. I'm sorry that your masculine sensitivity got triggered. Shame. Yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah. Wow. You know, ultimately it's like, well, so, like, why can't she be stronger and better? And, and all these things. I think that's handled uh, fa- fairly well. And, you know, the only thing that I thought was weird was how, like, a Jeep could take out the Hulk. That was odd, considering everything we've seen over the past 10 years. I don't know. Maybe he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't, like, taken out. He was just stunned for a second. He was thrown 30 feet by the Jeep. And then smashed into a rock or a boulder or whatever. Yeah, that was, he wasn't down for hours. I'm not. That's beside the point. Okay. And I, I'm just saying that is a little odd. Like a jeep could do that. 
I'm not saying it's odd that She-Hulk could do that. I'm saying that it's odd that the Jeep could do that. I was going to say She-Hulk did it. <laughs> I was like, you're going to be a little taken aback when your cousin throws a Jeep at you, you know? So. Yeah, well, and the Jeep did not get damaged at all. Okay, see, that's that. a problem. See, that's what I'm saying. Okay. That's a, that's the one thing I'll say, okay, I will concede oh, that's a little odd. But, you know, but. Hulk goes into, like, oh, you have to reinforce your bed. So maybe he reinforced the Jeep. <laughs> yeah, It's I don't totally know. possible that that happened. Possible, but I, I feel like that's your, your, your famous gymnastics you're doing I there. I think it's an easy one to gym about. Uh-huh, gym about... <laughs> Anyway, is there anything you want to add so far about the show? No, I think it's a, I think it's a great show. I don't think anyone should listen to the hater reviewers. Yeah, it's it's fun. Tatiana Maslany, when I heard she was cast as She-Hulk, I was kind of like, huh, not not the first person I would have thought of. I don't know who the first person would have been, but I definitely wouldn't have considered her. But so far, so good. So no, I'm, I think she's perfect. I think she can handle it. Well, I mean, she's For a very sure. talented actress, no exactly. doubt at all. So that's She-Hulk on Disney+. Plus. Let us know what you think so far, and we will check in once that series ends. And that finally concludes the week in review. And now it's time for our review of Beast, the South African version of Jaws <laughs> with a lion. Here we go. Hey, look out the window. Welcome to my party, guys. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Thank you so much for having us. This is my chance to reconnect with the girls. I can see all Did mom shoot some of these? This little bump right here? That's you. I still miss her every day. Gone on the dark clouds that had me It's gonna be a What's that? There's something crossing up ahead. Keep the girls in the car. Stay in the car, okay? Just stay in the car. But I... Diaboro. Okay, what's he saying? Diaboro means devil. I've never seen anything like this. Multiple attacks without eating his prey. Lions don't do that. At least no lion I've ever seen. Go back to the calls. Only law that matters. Dad, they've got guns. You shouldn't be out here. What are you doing? Stop! Stop! I've got to get my girls out of here. I need you to trust me right now. I'm coming back. Don't move, okay?
And that was from the trailer. Beast. To Beast. <laughs> the film that is directed by Baltasar Kormaker and starring. It's funny how IMDb, when you look at stars, it lists everybody but Idris Elba in the top list. So yeah. it, it, it chiefly stars Idris Elba. He is in the poster. He is the matriarch, or the patriarch, I mean, of the film. And it also got, stars... Go ahead. And then we've got Charlto Copley, the South African actor who's known for District 9. And the A-Team. Yeah, sure. And not much else since... <laughs> Yeah, and then we have Leah Jeffries and Ayana Haley, who kind of round out the ca- the principal cast for the most part. This is a film that, first first of all, I want to mention Balthazar Komaker, not a director I have ever heard of or am familiar with in any uh, way. It's an Icelandic director who is best known, I guess for such projects as nothing i've ever heard of oh everest he did the film everest from 2015 oh that's quite some time ago did you ever watch that i never got well maybe i did actually yeah i did i did it's been a while but i did and that was pretty good he uh he also did a couple other films i've heard of but haven't seen now that i look at it two guns and contraband these films are like 10 years old. Not much in the past uh, 10 years that I've heard of. He did a film called The Oath, another film called Adrift, and a couple TV shows. So not a well-known director, I would say. And this film was set in and I believe filmed in South Africa, right, Shanna? Yeah, uh, we figured it would. They mentioned that it's near the border, and so it looks like it's close to the Botswana border, so in the Limpopo province, uh, that area. Let me double check myself before I wreck yourself. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it's it's hard to say because IMDb is not that informative anymore when it comes to those kinds of details. So I'm not able to see from there exactly where the film was. Yeah, so they shot, I just looked it up. They shot in Limpopo, as well as the Northern Cape, another province, and then a little bit in Cape Town. Uh, It's, from what I understand, it's easy to shoot in Cape Town. It's a very uh, movie-friendly city. And then they, they probably got all their landscape stuff from Limpopo and Northern Cape. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Uh, just a premise. I should mention the premise. A father and his two teenage daughters find themselves hunted by a massive rogue lion, <laughs> intent on proving that the savanna has but one apex predator. So when we review a film, we like to focus on the good first. What worked about a movie? What were its strengths? Before we talked about the bad. What sucked about a movie? What were its flaws? And then we weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad and talk Spoilers and final thoughts. I have a feeling, Shanna, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that we'll probably have a fairly short uh, non-spoiler section and anything that we have to say about the film is probably mostly in spoilers. Is that fair to say? I think so. I think that's fine. Okay, so Shanna, you saw the trailer of this movie. You (laughs) laughed out loud in the theater. I was hysterical. 
Well, first of all, why is that? And did the movie live up to your expectations from that trailer? I think that everyone should go and watch the trailer. It's great to listen to it, but go watch it. Mm -hmm. And you will see the ridiculousness, hopefully, <laughs> that I saw. Mm. Uh, when we see the movie Jaws and we see how massive the shark is, it's unrealistic. It's, mm. I mean, it's scary because it's underwater and, you know, not everybody sees animals so clearly under the water because they're under the surface but growing up in south africa we went to lion parks we went to uh refuge center wildlife refuge centers the wildlife is a pretty important part of tourism in south africa so we learned a great deal about all the different wild animals they're represented in many different ways in the country through currency to mascots to anything anything and everything spirituality too yeah. yeah and so seeing this trailer and seeing how ridiculously huge the lion was and seeing how it was behaving in the trailer was just bafflingly funny to me and i just you know I don't, because it was going around it, killing people randomly well the, in the trailer they say the lion lions don't attack a village and quite frankly a lion doesn't really attack unless his pride is in jeopardy the uh -huh. lionesses do the hunting so it's not even it's just a killing machine is basically what's happening here in, mm -hmm. according to the trailer and for people who do live in very rural or felt areas, you you have to stay close with one another. You have to be in numbers. You have to be aware of your surroundings. But what is going to happen, if something is going to happen, unless I'm forgetting something, is the whole village will not be attacked. Uh -huh. It's just not going to happen uh -huh. by a lion. Uh -huh. Other people, yes. you know. But what will happen with a lion is it will look for someone who's not able to defend themselves, Vulnerable, someone yes. young, mm -hmm. and the, and it will take, a lioness will take that to her pride. So uh -huh. you're not even going to know until much later yeah, yeah, that yeah. someone's missing, never mind a whole village being slaughtered as depicted in the trailer. So did the movie live up to the expectations that the trailer provided for you? And uh, what was good about the film? Yeah, I thought that it... it did just fine there were very scary moments in the film and jump scares for the lion doing things mm -hmm. but genuinely scary things later in the film you know like i was more afraid of a character going in the water at at night mm -hmm. so you can't see what animals are in there uh -huh. and was more i was more afraid when a snake came close to someone i was more afraid of people getting malaria like <laughs> you know by this water that has bugs buzzing around on it and i'm like hyperventilating so th even though there's this ridiculous element to it there is some genuinely scary things also like what's going to happen if you come across poachers they're mm -hmm. not going to like you. They're not going to help you. They're going to take advantage of you in variously horrible ways. Mm -hmm. So those are the real fears. Yes, don't come across a lion. Don't piss off a lion. Don't approach. But everything else that I just mentioned is more scary. And so there was a healthy representation of scare factor in there. I get the impression, though, that the trailer made you think that the film was going to be over the top and ridiculous. Was oh, the yeah. film over the top and ridiculous? 
I think it was a little ridiculous, but okay. I, don't, I don't think it was necessarily over the top. I think everything was somewhat fine. And it was a little like a horror movie in that certain characters were doing stupid ass things. Yeah. You know, like. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to yeah. that. We'll come back okay. to that. We're, but otherwise, I was pleased. It mm-hmm. was a really fun movie. There was a set of uh, three women behind us. They were yeah. We were we were one of like six. They were screaming to- and shouting in the whole so, screening. So that was really fun. That mm-hmm. they had fun as well. Yeah. What did you think as an American who has visited South Africa and has been to lion parks and game reserves and been told by South Africans? not to do certain things oh well okay so first of all i'll address that i i benefit first of all from having a south african in my life who can respond and inform on certain things and even kind of educate me on where they might be in the country all that sort of stuff but yeah, I mean, when you're you're talking about a situation involving a lion and some details that we'll get into in spoilers, the risk factor quadruples, and the caution should be extraordinarily high mm-hmm. <laughs> in situations like this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily the case all the time with some of the characters. But yeah, I think I I, I thought this movie is a lot more grounded and less over the top than I expected it to be. I thought it was, and then and the, even the poster kind of suggests that it's going to be this campy, ridiculous film. And I don't think it's trying to be that at all. Actually, I will say that there's certain things I tried calling uh, yeah. ahead of time that did not happen. Okay. And so it avoided a certain degree of predictability. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting. And, you know, it, it does boil down to being a, a lean man versus nature kind of movie. And there so, was no opportunity to go potty. So, that, that's because the movie kept right. moving. Because the movie is 93 minutes with credits. So, that means it's like 85 minutes long or something like that. And so, it, it does keep moving. There's, it's about as, as lean as a lion itself. There's no fat here. I, I think it's, it's one of those movies that it's not required viewing for the year. It's not anything like that. But if you're looking for. A good time, something to watch with people, by the way. This is a movie that you need to watch, not alone, but with others, because I definitely think there's enough jump scares and other things to react together as a group. This is one of those movies that requires a group of people, um, if not at least uh, two, three people to watch with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's what I'll say. What what sort of weaknesses do you want to broadly outline (laughs) really quickly about the film? (laughs) And just broadly, not specifics. I can't do that. <laughs> this film makes me very nervous to take you and our son to South Africa or any Americans to South Africa. Because if you haven't laid down the groundwork of you need to listen to a South African, you're American, you need to keep your mouth shut basically uh-huh. and and listen to what i tell you to do so that you're safe i feel like that is not happening in this film over and over again so mm. i'm just like 
Shalto Copley, I, I, his character does seem like pretty authentic, very grounded South African guy that's yeah. lived on a farm his whole, like uh, uh, lived near, near um, wildlife. And, and natives, too. And, you know, has made wonderful community connections with the locals uh, that have their community within the, the what seems like a wildlife refuge. And it's, it's lovely. But I'm also like, at some point, a South African breaks and says, get the fuck back in the car and listen right. to me. So that's the only thing I have fault with right now. I knew going into this movie, it's not a realistic lion situation. It's a lion like Jaws. So yeah, I mean, not even that. It it Jaws. Yeah. Maybe it's more like is it Deep Blue Sea? I, well, I haven't seen that movie. Okay. That movie has a reputation of being really campy and over the top. Okay. But I will say that this movie definitely is breaking a sort of reality of what is likely from a lion Mm -hmm. in even that situation, as I understand it. So that way it can have its film. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's, it's basically You have to suspend your disbelief just for the premise Mm -hmm. to get going. And, and I think most Americans especially will be able to do that Mm -hmm. because most Americans are ignorant of them. Maybe that is what a lion would do. Who knows? You know, but <laughs> you know, I think I'd be interested in hearing how this plays in South Africa. If, if, if it even made it there, I don't know, but one would hope because people are fans of Shalter Copley. I think there are a lot of Idris Elba fans. I was exposed to Idris Elba the first time through number one ladies detective agency, even though that's set in Botswana, it was still, everybody loved that show. And, I feel like I don't know I feel like there are fans of these performers and yes it actually did drop in South Africa I think it it opened a week ahead of the USA Mm. so I would be interested in in hearing what their thoughts are on the film I will say that I look I don't have all the verbiage and all the research but from experiences i do know that a lot of people aren't comfortable going back to the cinema in south africa so Mm. i i don't know if those numbers are gonna be a good reflection of how the well the movie is received i will look that up but in the meantime let's assess does the good outweigh the bad and how you would rate it i would give this a lovely eight it was really? well it was exactly what i thought it was gonna be <laughs> and <laughs> i feel secure in that and it was just a f- it was just a fun get scared movie so it's like it's like a really really good movie despite everything that you laughed at and 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 yes. thought was ridiculous you anyway. have to go in like you said earlier with the mindset that this is gonna be ridiculous but there are gonna be real elements to it so this film has been in the theaters for two weeks so far. It debuted at number two in the States, fell to number three this past weekend. It is not a smash success worldwide or international or domestically. I mean, I don't know what the budget was, but it has made a worldwide $37 million, 21 of which came from the States. So it's oh, not... Well, that's a- not... 
I mean, 16 awful. million came from the rest of the country, and the rest of the country had a week's lead. Or rest of the world, I mean. And the, and the rest of the world had a week's lead on the states. Mm. So that's not great. That's basically 8 million a week from the rest of the world. I don't know. Maybe it needed to come in October when people are ready to be scared. Like, hmm. all the trailers leading up to this film <laughs> were horror trailers. So, I don't know. I will give this film a solid 6 out of 10. Okay. This is not a great film. I don't think it's a really good film. It's not awful. It's it's not... I mean, it's like, seriously, this is not a bad movie. This is not a movie yeah. that's like... I mean, at the end of the day... Idris Elba is this dad that brings his daughters to South Africa to try right. to heal their relationship, but also to feel a connection to their mother, where their mother was from. Right. So there's heart in it. And Shalta Copley is this friend, this family friend, because he grew up with who Idris Elba married. And, yeah. and it's this extra connection to find out more about their mom. Yes. So, but I don't think the material... Like on its face, like even if it okay. was like the best of its kind, I I mean like it would have to be doing some serious like impressive shit to okay, be okay. yeah. So you know it's a six out of ten as far as I'm concerned. But I do recommend you know if you don't rush to the theater to see it to have a good time, definitely stream it or rent it when it comes um, in the next couple months. So the, the, that's our uh, thoughts on Beast so far. We're going to get into spoilers, though. If you haven't seen the film, uh, au revoir, I guess. <laughs> uh, pause, go see the film, come back. Which means goodbye in Cosa. Very good. We're going to continue on with this discussion and get in a little bit more specifics on our thoughts on Beast starting now. Okay, Shanna. Okay. <laughs> so what what were some of the things that you couldn't speak to that just like make you laugh when you think about them or just absolutely ridiculous or problems you had okay problem i had like americans not listening it was just it was insane how none the three of them were either not listening to each other or were not listening to uh shelter and it was just infuriating. Just on a base level before those um, overt danger, right? Like, the youngest, they're in South Africa. And granted, where in South Africa they are is kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's not like they're in an informal settlement. Or location. Location. Is what or location. The, what it can be referred to as. Right. Where black people came Due to segregation and needing to get work in the city, they came and set up their informal settlement, also known as a location. Right. This is We're, happening in the felt, in right big well, farmlands, preserved yes, lands. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is it's not in an environment where you have to be on high alert as an American from like so you're not a target or you're not uh well a, a target of, of theft or other crime right and, i guess you know and, a human target with other humans right you know but still there's like even the youngest like wanders off or you know the the teenager he doesn't do what common sense would dictate even when things, or well, especially when things get even more dangerous. So, yeah, just, on, but on a base level, there is a certain degree of not being careful and staying together, right? You know, and it's for so many reasons. You're bringing up the people element. 
Uh, but there's also like the animal element. A spider could bite you. A snake oh. could bite you. Mm. And someone else has to be with you so that you can see, you can bear witness to what just attacked you. Right. So that the hospitals can help you. Right. You know? Right. So it's so much more than people crime. It's also like animal, animal injuries. <laughs> animal injuries. And uh, what if, you know, you might not be familiar with the land and the layout. And what if you fall and you hurt right. yourself? There's so many things that can go wrong. It's a great place to go visit and have a wonderful touristy time. But you have to be careful. Yeah. In so many ways. So you're saying. You're saying that there's not there's there was fuck all caring yeah going on like you should stay together if not all three together or all four you should stay two two and that wasn't even happening. What else? It was infuriating. Uh, otherwise, I thought it was fine. Uh, there was a lot that got fitted into this movie, mm-hmm. like different fears that can happen in South Africa, legitimate fears. You're t- let's talk about that river scene. The yeah okay. Why don't you describe for listeners what your thought process was <laughs> what and my what mind your was doing? what your concerns were because yeah. you you brought some things to me that I don't even think would cross anyone's mind just on the face of watching that scene in the movie. Okay, guess so this is definitely like animal crime territory. <laughs> So this is the part of the film where all four of them are finally back in the van or whatever it is, and they're heading out. But across the road, there's someone from, uh, there's one of the locals in the road. And so Shalto stops for him. He's like, we have to stop. We have to get him in. We have to help these people. They're injured. He's alive. we got to get help. But then he hears the lion. And so he gets his gun and yeah. he's going to go after the lion because he thinks it's just a normal lion yeah. that he can shoot or tranquilize. And so... Yeah, to be clear, he has tra- uh, tranquilizers. Yeah. And so he wanders off and he comes across this water area that has a little bit of land in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of swampy, yeah, but at the same time dry. So it's this weird climate. And there's this tree. And so he's coming close to this tree. I think it's where some worshipping is happening. So there's lots of different skulls and things like that. And it's like, oh, don't go to the sacred place. (laughs) So like my first thing is like, don't touch the sacredness. Mm. And then the next thing is uh, he's walking in the water. And as he's approaching the water line by the land, there's crocodiles or alligators. I can't remember which one it is, but there's like two or three of them. Oh, is there? I thought it was just the one. No, it was definitely like a pair. Okay. And then, you you know, he gets attacked. He's sitting by the tree and you hear all these bugs. And I'm like, Jesus, (laughs) he's going to get eaten alive by mosquitoes, which carry malaria. So maybe he's going to get malaria. And that's what the movie is going to be about. It's going to be it's all be a the huge, ways. Huge head fake. It's all the ways. It's just going to be about Shalter malaria. Die, and so or just be very sick. So he's sitting there, and eventually he gets back to the van. But then later, Edris Alba comes down to this same area. He doesn't much later. By yeah, the way, much at, when later. it's dark at night, he yeah. doesn't know the sacred little island has skulls and things. Yeah, and it's difficult to walk around. Uh huh. 
so he's like tripping over that. I'm like, you're going to stab your hand into one of the horn bones. Yeah, to be clear, like, he's trying to avoid being detected by the lion. Yeah. He's trying to avoid making any noise. And so he knocks into some sort of mobile string. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bones, know, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making a lot of noise. And so I'm like, first of all, you're going to slip and cut yourself on a bone and get an infection and die. Then he gets in the tree. Then a snake comes onto his hand. I'm like, fuck! <laughs> because the snake could be venomous. It mm-hmm. could, and if it bites you, you're fucked within like less than an hour typically. Or maybe it's a couple hours. And then <laughs> the snake lands on the lion. He's thrown gotten, onto the lion. Yeah, that had gotten close to the tree. Mm-hmm. Idris Elba somehow grabs the snake as it's striking towards his face i'm like this is so unrealistic you have no experience no and then he gets in the water and i start like hyperventilating because i'm like you don't know what's in the water you haven't been to the water during the day anything could be in there we know that there's alligators in there but i'm like there could also be hippos Mm, there you go and it's like if you if you irritate a hippo the hippo's gonna make you die so you know (laughs) I was like hyperventilating. I was not having a good time. It was very scary because just in those like, I guess it was maybe if anything, five, six minutes Hmm. was the most real fear. And then he gets to the car and then the poachers are there. Right. Or just as he gets there, they arrive. Just as as I calm down. Yeah. After the most... The most intense sequence in the entire film for you, full (laughs) of every possible thing. Freaking out so much. All the South African girls' animal fears. You you think you can come down from this anxiety and everything's going to be okay. Then the poachers arrive. And then I'm completely freaking out again because from a very young age, you're taught about the animal stuff, right? But you're also taught about bad people and you're taught about specifically the connection with you know animals and poachers Mm -hmm. and how it's very much not a good thing and so i think subconsciously there's that foundation there of fear because they're not just going to kill an animal Mm -hmm. they're going to kill people too Mm -hmm. that get in the way or they're going to do something worse like sell them these people are connected you know well there's all this stuff in the movie about anti-poachers now Maybe you can educate us about this, but they are even more aggressive when they think that Shalto Copley is an anti-poacher who it is suggested anti-poachers kill poachers. Do you like, can you enlighten us a little bit about that? Was that something that struck you as you watched the film? Um, I think when I was, when I was studying photography, I saw a photo essay about someone photographing anti-poachers, but I feel like that's not the right term Mm -hmm. because an anti-poacher, it's like we don't want poachers, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think when you say anti, it like makes it sound really bad. However, this is just an overall term used with people who want to stop the illegal wildlife trade. Uh Uh-huh. So it could mean anything from little conservationist uh-huh. to uh, I'm on guard keeping a watch on my lions or my elephants or my rhinos. 
And if you come onto my property, I'm shooting you dead with my AK-47. So I think there's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I guess that is a fault with the movie is they didn't quite clarify how anti-poacher he was. But I got the sense that he was just like, if we find you and you're on our property, we have the right to shoot you, you know? Yeah, they clearly, they very much suggest that he has killed poachers. Well, and let's be honest, if, you know, if you're coming to poach mm-hmm. on someone's property, mm-hmm. I don't know how the law works in South Africa, Really? But you're going to get shot. Even if it's on a wildlife refuge? Well, someone owns it. Okay. So it is private property. Really? Okay. It's not like public land. Oh, interesting. You know? That's It's not like you're at the local... Park? You know, even like if you go to a park in Seattle, Seattle Parks and Rec or City of Seattle owns it. Okay, but that would be still like... Open to the public and public land, right? Yeah, but when you typically with wildlife refuges, you have to pay to get in. So these right, people yeah. are here illegally. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. But also, if you've seen stories about poachers, mm-hmm. no poacher's going to like seeing the person who owns the 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 wildlife refu- refuge that they're trying to poach from. Like... So I think their reaction was a little extreme. And sure, maybe he has shot people on the property. Like, Yeah, so that's... It's, it's their job. I was going to say, it sounds like they kind of embellished it a little bit, made it a little bit more hyperbolic than reality mm. as far as the anti-poaching thing. Okay. Is yeah, that, is so that... I guess that's a bit of a fault to the movie. Mm, okay. Because it doesn't clarify explicitly... And you've got Americans visiting you, right? Mm, so Americans mm. are going to want to know, like, how mm. far did you take it? Well, and things are moving pretty quickly in the film, too. So I will say that as far as Chateau Copley goes, I called... Well, okay, so there's this scene where Chateau is communing with a pride of lions. Oh, this guy, yeah. he goes up and he is bear-hugging freaking male lions and stuff which made you nervous first of all and and i'm looking at this and i'm like oh this is a setup for later this guy is going to be torn to pieces <laughs> he is going to die horribly later of course i know going into the movie shoto shoto copley has to die he's going to die this is what he does he he is the punching bag <laughs> of every movie basically especially a south african movie and and so yeah but that's not what happens, surprisingly. He, do you want to talk first about about that scene before well, I move so on? Well, so it's some... Okay, so I don't want to say that this is what everyone gets to do in South Africa. No. You do not do that. No. Like, you have to be growing up with these lions. Which he you did. You have to be yeah. there for them. Yeah. You basically are saving them and rehabilitating them. And then, if possible, that connection happens, but you never know... Because it's a wild animal at the end of the fucking day. Yeah. Which is what South Africans preach constantly. But there is someone, Kevin Kevin Richardson, who's known for hugging lions. Mm -hmm. And it's the lion whisperer, if you want to go and look that up. Mm -hmm. And those lion relationships do exist. I've talked over and over again about how made, made aware of this fear, made aware of that fear. Uh, these legitimate things that could, bad things that could happen to you. But we were also made aware of like, there can be a possible connection Mm -hmm. with a wild animal. At a lion refuge I used to visit when I was younger, 
there were cubs that you could meet and the person I got a private tour and the person hollered babies and all four of these lion cubs came running from around the corner as if they were your puppies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so but it sounds it 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 sounds like the exception and it sounds like it's few and far between when that happens and even then it sounds like they are still cautious because as you said uh, anything can happen they can turn Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. Well, and the person noticed how his uh, co-worker got the tranquilizer gun ready. Right, yeah. Just in case something happened. Right. And something. And it wasn't like Charlotte just kind of, you know, struts on up to them and be like, hey, guys, and just pats them on the head. Yeah, he's like, approaching them nicely. Very slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so, so I was going to say, beyond that, mm-hmm. I, I thought he was going to be torn to bits later. And that's not what happens. He is wounded. We don't see him get wounded, but he is wounded very early on, probably like a third of the way in the film or so. Yeah, the and, lion scratches the inner part of his thigh. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. But really, like what ends up happening is he does. He he gives himself a heroic death, mm-hmm. hoping to save his friends and end this nonsense that is occurring. Yeah. And, and uh, this is actually one of the things I was okay. like, huh. This is the ridiculousness. Be- sort of. It's the aftermath of that because they're in the Jeep. It's already broken down. A lot of the movie takes place in this Jeep. The Jeep goes over a cliff that it's kind of hanging over with the lion inside and Shalto in it. And, um, well, not the lion. The lion's not inside. I guess it's, it. I don't know. It's like but, on top of something. Yeah. Anyway, the lion survives unscathed of course Sholto's kind of messed up and there's gas leaking and stuff and the lion comes for him and gas does drip all over the lion's face and Sholto basically blows them up yeah okay supposedly well and but what was nice is he also apologized to the lion <laughs> he was like so conservatist to yes you know nature conservatist to the end but when we see the lion later, it barely, like, it, it doesn't have, like, any third-degree burns at all. It doesn't even have any second-degree burns. And it has, like, its some... Its hair is perfectly almost like, quaffed in the front. So, well, not not perfectly. Mostly. Uh, it, it's almost like it just experienced a science experiment that may have singed its eyebrows, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it, it has a little bit of charring. And that's one of the few things I'd be like, ha. Huh. I guess it's also not limping, and it, I could be wrong, but it yeah. appeared that the car la- like bounced off of its body. It did take, so, yeah, it, right. It's not consistent. It should be that, limping yeah. right. all the time for the right. rest of the movie, but it doesn't. Right, that's, yes, that's true. I did, so it, that did not play out as I expected it to. Uh, you know, the, the end, mm-hmm. the whole thing that we were talking about with the whole lion-hugging scene... That was a setup of a different sort for the the end where Idris Elba they they drive by the Lion Pride, mm-hmm. all right. My instinct is, fucking keep going, <laughs> and he he goes on for another hundred feet. He's like, I'm going to stop and let's go into this nearby school. Not my first instinct. My first instinct is keep going as far as you possibly yeah. can back to safety. Get as close as you can to right? your destination. So they go to the school. There's a bad idea. The lion, the titular lion, 
it finds him there. And long story short, Idris comes up with this plan um, of leading, it's going to lead this lion to the pride and hope to hell that the, the pride saves his ass. Yeah, because it's coming in, this other lion's coming into their territory. So it's going to attack Beast. So. The, it being the pride is going to attack. The two lions that you can't, I don't think you can have more than two lions in a pride. Male or female? Male. Okay. Lioness is female. Okay, gotcha. So you have all these lionesses. You can have as many as you want. But you can't have, I don't think it's typical that you have two lions. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. But this pride did. And, you know, anytime, they're probably brothers or something. And then anytime another lion comes in, like the other lions will see that as a threat. Did it seem to you they took their sweet ass time responding to the situation? Or was that about appropriate of how that would work? Well, I've never seen an attack happen. Mm. So to be fair, Mm. I don't know about that. Mm. But I kind of just take it as, oh, well, maybe we're going to have some scraps and the lioness doesn't have to, you know, hunt too much tonight is what I was thinking. Okay. So maybe it was appropriate. Yeah. But I think it also had to come a certain closeness. So I think they were waiting for that. Okay. Did you feel like the fight between Idris and the lion was realistic? Or do you think that would have ended a lot more quickly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no way. Like, the fact that Edris Alba lived through the attack mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I want him to live. Don't get me wrong. I don't want these American girls to get it's stuck not miraculous. in South Africa. It's not miraculous. It's, like, ri- it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. Well, that his face is perfectly fine, you know, <laughs> mostly fine. I don't want what to What did say, you expect? Just be specific. What did you expect to I expected happen? way more blood drenched everywhere. I expected the lion to end it. How? Quicker. Like, it knows where to cut arteries. Okay. And it, I guess it just wasn't doing that with Edris. Maybe it was a little dazed and confused after all the fire and stuff. But that was a little unrealistic. But the story can't have that. Uh, you know mm. but it's it's not gonna go well for people that get attacked by a lion yeah so. yeah i mean i would argue it didn't go well for Idris's character uh regardless because that would have been extremely painful what he did experience <laughs> you know but uh but yeah i was i was curious as the sort of expert on the podcast how that would have played out uh and and how accurate that that was that was you know it is what it is about 39 percent will survive a mm. lion attack. Mm. So it's very slow. With all their limbs? I don't know. The ability to walk? <laughs> You're going to have some serious damage because those claws are very thick. Those jaws are very strong. It's Well, yeah, they, not gonna get... there's a certain amount of uh, pressure, right? Yeah. That they can, they can... Like, they can bite down on bones. Like, mm-hmm. they can pierce through all the meat. Yeah. You know? So, right. Anyway. Yeah. A- any other thoughts about the movie? No, I think I've shared enough and gushed about the horrors of South Africa. We always see on social media the horrors of Australia and living in Australia with these crazy animals. But, you know, it, it, we've got our own in South Africa, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for providing some context. 
uh, and some insight into uh, this film and the experiences within it. Those are our thoughts on Beast. I bet you got a lot more out of this review than you expected. I know I did. Shanna, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you close us out with where people can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography and on Flickchart, Spellbinding A. Go to thegibsonreview.com, please. I have finally finished the James Bond project. I started in May. My conclusion and rankings of the elements of the James Bond series can be found at thegibsonreview.com. I would love to hear your thoughts and and uh, have you read that article. And if you didn't already, check out the, the Daniel Craig Films article on there as well. You'll find past episodes of The Movie Lovers there and other articles and reviews. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash the Gibson Review or the Gibson 99 on Instagram. I do bracket polls there. Since the last episode, last proper episode, we did your favorite 2001 movie and Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring was voted your favorite movie of 2001, which means Lord of the Rings clinched it from 2001 to 2003 as your favorite movie of those years. Right now, at time of recording, uh, at the time that you listen to this, we'll be going through James Bond movies. We'll have voted on what your picks are of the best in, in certain aspects of the James Bond uh, series, but also we'll have a bracket poll to, uh, for you to decide what your favorite James Bond film is of the 25 films. So, Join that fun again, the Gibson 99 on Instagram. Next time on the Movie Lovers, it will be our Film Faves episode. We will be counting down our favorite nostalgic movies. Now, these are movies that not not movies that we are nostalgic for, but movies that are nostalgic themselves for a particular time place or a particular thing like maybe a certain era of tv whatever it is they have this overwhelming sense of nostalgia in the film we'll be trying to tackle that it's going to be a challenge it'll be interesting for sure i know there's a lot of this that came out in the 80s and 90s a lot of nostalgia for the 50s and 60s in particular it'll be interesting to see what ends up on our list that our favorite of this subject look for that i believe it'll be tuesday september 14th is that right shanna so it looks like the 13th of september okay so not the 14th but the 13th of september until then keep loving the movies this is jeff and shanna saying bye-bye